0: The following Dharma Talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. i that most of you are safe enough in your homes, with your family, with your friends, pets, and for those of you who are having a hard time. have the illness or experiencing loss, I think I can speak for the community, that our hearts go out and we wish you safety and well-being. And feel free always, everyone, to contact the center if there are ways that the center can assist you or Shelley Graff or I can reach out and connect with you. You just contact the center. And I've also been telling folks that you're welcome to send your questions in ahead of time. You can just email them to the main office email info at org, And then Shelley and I, Shelly on Wednesday and then I on Sundays, we'll see um, if we can use some of those questions in our talk and discussion. And at any time, you're also welcome to Uh, write down a question in the live chat to your right and I believe I'm not positive about this but I think you have to subscribe to the Common Ground YouTube channel in order to be able to use the live chat but uh, if you haven't subscribed and you're chatting then you can let me know that in the chat and then I'll take that back and we've been looking at path this spiritual path, the path of awakening, what we often call Dharma or Dhamma, that word we use in different ways, the way it is, but it also refers to this path of awakening, this pointing out from this human being we call the Buddha, the one who is awake, that's what Buddha means, it's a title, someone who's awake, someone who sees things as they are, someone who is Living from that place, that marriage of intimacy and non-attachment or non-grasping, and uh, we've looked at how, you know just the components of the path. It begins with this insight that it actually matters how we're showing up in the world, how we're relating. It matters in terms of just our the intentions and how we understand the intentions that are driving our actions and ways of seeing, ways of thinking. It matters in terms of how we relate to others. And now we've been looking at how it matters how we take care of the mind, how we care for the heart and mind. So today, tonight, or rather this morning, is the second talk in caring for the heart and mind. And I want to start with this quote that a long-time community member Stacy from South Carolina, I used to live in the Twin Cities, but now I was teaching at South Carolina Ascent. Um from Ross Gay's book, The Book of Delights. It's just beautiful, a couple paragraphs that I'll read. Among the most beautiful things I've ever heard anyone say came from my student Bethany, talking about her pedagogical aspirations or ethos, how she wanted to be as a teacher and what she wanted her classrooms to be. Quote, what if we joined our wildernesses together? Sit with that for a minute, that the body, the life might carry a wilderness, an unexplored territory, and that yours and mine might somewhere, somehow meet, might even join. And what if the wilderness, perhaps the densest wild in there, thickets, bogs, swamps, uncrossable ravines and rivers, have I made the metaphor clear, is our sorrow? Or to use Smith's term, the intolerable. It astonishes me sometimes, no, often, how every person I get to know everyone, regardless of everything, by by which I mean everything, lives with some profound personal sorrow. Brother addicted, mother murdered, dad died in surgery, rejected by their family, cancer came back, evicted, fetus not okay everyone regardless, always, of everything. Not to mention the existential sorrow we all might be afflicted with, which is that we and what we love will soon be annihilated. Which sounds more dramatic than it might, let me just say dead. Is this sorrow of which our impending being no more might be the foundation the great wilderness? Is sorrow the true wild? And if it is, and if we join them, your wild to mine, what's that? For joining two is a kind of annihilation. What if we joined our sorrows? I'm saying, I'm saying, what if that is a joy? I don't know about you, but for me, um, in many different ways, this passage points to our practice, how we practice together. And uh, in particular, you know, when we talk about caring for our heart and mind, we have to strengthen this particular spiritual muscle that we could call dropping the mind's addictive or. attached, identified relationship to the objects of our experience. There's something about being present, being intimate, that frees the mind from its uh, reactive, identified ways of relating. When we're present with the experience in the moment, present with an in-breath, present with hearing, present with the body sitting, present with our feeling heart, whatever the emotional feeling might be, when we're really present there's a fullness, a wholeness to that presence, so full and so whole that there really isn't room in the heart, in the mind to be reacting, to be identifying, to have an opinion, to even have doubt. That's why it was such a brilliant thing for the Buddha to realize in the course of his own practice that the way to purify the mind of a lot of reactivity, a lot of unhelpful mental activity, is just to meet one's life in a full, whole, all-inclusive way. And whether we use a more narrow focus on one particular aspect of the present moment, like feeling the sensations of breathing in, or feeling the body sitting, or we have a much more broad, inclusive opening to the present moment, where whatever particular experience is predominant in that moment, that that's there in the forefront, everything else is there in the periphery, but we're not picking and choosing, we're just saying, yeah. Moments like this. Even what we might consider to be unwholesome qualities of mind, like a lot of doubt or a lot of sense of self pity, that could be known too. So when we join the present moment, when we connect with another, when we meet in this wilderness of the present moment, as this author Ross Gay is talking about. It is a kind of annihilation, and it is that joy that I mentioned last week that the Buddha highlights, really emphasizes, it's kind of an essential spiritual muscle because it includes so much emotional, psychological healing. And this is the joy of seclusion, the mind that knows how to drop, drop its addictive relationship to the present moment. Wynne reminded me, my partner Wynne Fricke, one of our teachers at Common Ground, the co-founder of a passage that I think I also heard um, Venerable Analio, this German monk, mention when uh, he was either present with Ajahn Brahm or reading about something Ajahn Brahm said. Ajahn Brahm is a well-known English Buddhist monk and abbot of a monastery in Australia very well-known, popular teacher and evidently at some point when he was teaching he held up a glass of water and asked those in the room, how do you make this glass of water still? And of course he was talking about you know, the glass of water as a simile for maybe the activity of the mind or the mind itself. But his response, he answered his own question, you know, the way we still the glass of water, the way we still the mind, is we put it down, we put it down, put it on the ground. So we leave things alone. Now the way, it's not easy to leave things alone. And so, you know, this is why we're really fortunate to have the Buddhist instructions or otherwise, people who've been looking at their mind opening to their heart for a long time, and have learned what doesn't work. (laughs) You know, wanting to let go, wanting our minds to be quiet and peaceful is often very agitating, you know, and hating ourselves for not having a peaceful mind is definitely agitating. And thinking somebody has a more peaceful mind than yours, definitely agitating. So mostly what we learn is what doesn't work. And then, hearing that instruction over and over again, we get curious about, well, what does work? What would they mean when they say dropping or putting it down? This part of the path that we're talking about now, it's called samadhi. And it's really, samadhi means the stability or unification, the coming together of the mind. So the heart, the mind, isn't working against itself. Every part of the mind, this natural process of the heart-mind, every part of it, every thread of the mind is working to the same end, which is to be open or intimate with the conditions without being entangled with the conditions of the present moment. So, uh, what we learn in terms of that initial freedom, that taste of freedom of the mind secluding itself from the activity is, you know, this art of opening to something pleasant or relatively neutral and practicing being with it in a full way, not holding back at all. And there's any number of experiences, even in this moment right now, You could be working with the sensations of your body or you could be aware of hearing or any number of aspects of the present moment, but the the real heart of the practice is doing it in a full or whole, not holding back way. So that we're uh, not somehow out of habit allowing some part of the mind in a sense, that sense of me in the background complaining, or judging, or being in a hurry, or being impatient, or having doubt. It's very easy for the mind to fragment in this way, where we think we're doing one thing, but actually the mind is in a sense switching back and forth, it's sort of trying to be a meditator and connect with the present moment and it's also sitting in the background feeling a lot of doubt like this never worked in the past it's probably not going to work now i might as well give up or why hasn't why isn't this sit like the previous sit that i had that really good sit that i had so the the mind has any number of ways because of habit to undermine itself to fragment and so the initial step you know once we've settled into our sitting posture and we're feeling like we're kind of right there in the middle of things. And then could be some traditional meditation object like feeling the physicality of the breathing process right here, that rising and falling of the abdomen abdomen, or that touching at the nostrils going in of the air and the out of the air. Or it could be just the more general sense of embodiment, just the body sitting which might even include the kind of grosser quality of the feeling heart. Does the heart feel hard? Does it feel held? Does it feel open and light? But whatever that felt sense of sitting, being embodied might be, Right. we just start somewhere, and more important than where we start is that understanding that not holding back matters. That whatever the mind is doing in the sit, in the meditation, it matters. So we're not holding back or thinking that we can do it in a half-hearted way, because the whole process, like whatever benefit we get, arises because of the wholeheartedness, not sort of holding back at all. And even if the process that we're undertaking is a little off. We didn't get the instructions right or we're just confused for some reason. If we do it wholeheartedly, we're going to learn something like, oh, this isn't working. (laughs) Oops. You know, what might I have misunderstood? Mm -hmm. Shelley, uh, for those who listened to Shelley's talk on Wednesday night, One of the things they talked about was spiritual urgency. Samvega is the Pali word. This is from Sahida Utejaniya. I might have read this lesson, I forget. Samvega, spiritual urgency, is a kind of wisdom. Understanding the fundamental nature of experience can lead to a strong feeling that we must complete the practice. For example, we may realize that we can't escape having to experience we must experience and experience and experience. And this may feel like an oppressiveness we are constantly needled by. If we truly felt this as dukkha, as pain and suffering, how fast would we run toward the path?" And this is why, like at the beginning of the sit today, just encouraging us to touch into that place of simplicity. and to detect some sense of peacefulness and equanimity, the release, the non-entanglement of that simplicity. Because it's only when we touch in and, and have a sense that that simplicity of heart and mind, the mind that's intimate but not entangled with attachment, with fear and greed, that that peace, really allows us, allows the mind, or allows, you could say, allows wisdom to see the more subtle tendencies, the more subtle habits of grasping, of wanting and not wanting, and getting entangled with sleepiness, and getting entangled with restlessness, getting entangled with doubt, these hindrances of the mind. So, in a way, this piece of seclusion, the settledness of seclusion that comes from opening to the present moment in a whole way, not holding back. Even ordinary experience like the body sitting, hearing, the quality of the heart, just that understanding that the meditative process depends on wholeheartedness. You could use the word sincerity, not holding back, And we're sincere, we're sincerely valuing this opening to the present moment, to embodiment, to here and now. And then noticing, training the mind to notice how right that feels, the well-being that's there. Because to some degree at least, the mind isn't running from the present moment, isn't neurotically trying to construct someplace else, somebody I want to become, something I want to happen, something I want to get rid of. It's ceasing to do that activity and that's experienced as a kind of peace, a spiritual peace. This can be trusted. This embodied moment, as imperfect as it is from this normal or relative point of view, can be trusted because it is this way now. And the heart has this capacity to land, to put it down, to put down the neurotic striving to become, the neurotic wanting and not wanting, at least for moments at a time. And then when there are enough of those moments, then the wisdom learns something about the habits of greed and the habits of aversion. They really start to stand out next to the relative peace of simplicity. Even ordinary, what we wouldn't consider to be neurotic thinking, like it's a little cold in the room, which I'm feeling right now, even that thought arising and any identification, like the mind habitually personalizing that thought, it's a little cold in the room, is experienced as a kind of stress, Like, there can be that thought without any identification. There's no reason for the mind to lose its grounding and simplicity. That these thoughts, it's a little cold in the room, or are people understanding what I'm saying? It could be a more sort of seductive thought might arise. Am I doing a good job? but the mind doesn't need to be entangled. So it's not about not having those kinds of thoughts or mental activities or emotions. It's about the mind realizing that it values the simplicity. And in order to really value the simplicity, it has to let nature be nature. It can't do both. It's neurotic trying to control and manage and become and value simplicity. So, by valuing the simplicity of being present, wholly present, open or intimate with the conditions, the movement of body and mind in the present moment, then it loses its capacity to manage and become and control and react and be neurotic. And this is how we slowly find the way understand the path and so we're talking in particular today about these three aspects of the path that have to do with caring for the heart and mind wise effort wise mindfulness and wise concentration and I just want to kind of dig in a little deeper with wise effort so understanding enough that it matters and and out of this understanding that it matters You know, we see so much how I live in a way, my mind relates in a way that isn't helpful. And that breaks the heart open with eventually a pretty fierce movement towards compassionate action. Like, I want to take care of myself because I know how easy it is for my heart and mind to get entangled in dark places and difficult entanglements and heavy states and fearful states and craving states. I mean who among us haven't been burnt enough by our own mental constructions to realize we're in danger because of our habit energies. And if we just sort of let our habit energies do what they're inclined to do, we could be in miserable states, tormented states, a lot of the time. So when we realize that possibility of being in tormented states, why wouldn't the good heart, the compassionate heart say, no more, honey, I'm going to do whatever I can do. I'm going to learn whatever has to be learned to take care of myself. And this fierceness, this compassionate fierceness, initially gets expressed as these four exertions that just slowly get clarified over the years of practice, making the exertion to abandon entanglements that are entangling and heavy and difficult and planting seeds of suffering. So when we catch our mind identified and caught, well, of course, we're gonna make that gentle and persistent effort to put it down. Even if we don't have a clue how to do it, we'll learn through trial and error. Well, this isn't helping, let me try something else. It's not so much about making a brute force because we learn pretty quickly that trying to use brute force with the mind doesn't work very well. And we find our other ways to abandon. So, that's the effort to abandon unwholesome qualities of mind, right? So, when we're caught wanting, like I mentioned, I'm a little cold, feeling the room being a little cold. And so, um, I might like catch my mind blaming myself or blaming somebody else for not turning the heat up more. Or blaming the fact that I live in Minnesota and even at the end of March it's still pretty cold out. Why is it so gray today? Why are not there any sunshine? So I can catch that and I can catch how stressful that is and completely unproductive that kind of thinking, that kind of internal complaining is stressful. And doesn't lead to anything, as much as I can tell, that's beneficial for myself or anybody. So when we see that, the Buddha talks about it as finding out that we're holding a hot pan, we just let go. Like we hold on to it only because out of ignorance we imagine that kind of internal complaining go somewhere. But from the place of that simplicity, that wise, whole, presence, present moment awareness, that kind of complaining is seen for what it is. It's stressful and it allows for the abandoning. So we abandon what isn't helpful and then we also make that effort to prevent the mind from picking up unwholesome, you know, going down unwholesome avenues that aren't going to be helpful. And I mentioned that in the guided meditation today. You know, when we're in a relatively settled, peaceful place you might notice the mind incline to pick up some content and to go down that avenue, like, oh yeah, why did that person say that to me, or what am I going to do about this? And Wisdom can detect, like, is going down, is following that thread, getting identified I need to think about this, I need to pick up this now, is that helpful? And just sort of noticing what that quality of the mind, the quality of the intention that wants to grasp onto that content, is that a trustworthy quality of mind that's inclined to take up, hold on to, identify with that content of that thought? Because if it isn't, it's relatively easy to prevent the mind from grasping that content, from going down that off-ramp right at the beginning. Once the mind has been proliferating, mentally entangled, thinking for a while, then it's in a sense it's got a head of steam. And it's not so easy to put it down. I'm sure you all know this. Sometimes we're so entangled, so much momentum that it isn't until the mind is deeply exhausted that it puts it down. It just kind of can't handle the weight of it anymore and it jumps ship often, unfortunately, into another drama that has the same flavor but at least it's a different drama. And we jump from one rageful drama to another one or one lustful drama to another one. So it's really useful to catch these in the middle, this wholesome effort or exertion to prevent the mind from going down pathways that aren't helpful, that aren't going to lead to anybody's benefit. Do I need to be thinking about this? Do I need to go down this this mental avenue? No, I've been down that many times. Doesn't really lead anywhere useful? I think not. What else might I put my attention on so that I don't just by default go down this pathway that I'm pretty sure isn't gonna be helpful? It's like, sure, we might think at once, but when we catch ourselves thinking or going down some content, going picking up some content for the fourth or fifth or 25th time, well, that's the clue, right? Like. Why would I, why does the mind, why is it inclined to pick it up again and again? Am I really going to see things differently than I've seen them before? So the first two efforts we make, you know, so we're there, we're in that relatively simple place, and then the first one would be we don't even realize we've lost it, we've taken some pathway. The mind's been entangled for five minutes and then mindfulness emerges and we realize that the mind is caught up. There's some momentum, there's some entanglement, not easy to put down. And there's this very essential muscle, spiritual muscle like, this is not okay. And sometimes just noticing... The unwholesomeness of the entanglement itself is enough to shock the mind out of the entanglement. Oh yeah, this is not helpful. Sometimes you need to dangle something wholesome and interesting to the mind. You know, this is the advantage of having worked with a meditation anchor for a long time. You can dangle it out in front of the mind. Do you want to come back to the breath? Remember, you like the breath. You have nice experiences being with the breath. You sure you don't want to come back? Right? Even wholesome fear. If you keep thinking about this, it's going to be really unpleasant. It's easier to do, to sort of drop this now than it will be in 10 minutes. How about dropping it now? Basically, whatever works to abandon. And then once you get back to being in the present moment with some continuity, some sense of the wholesomeness and the inner Spiritual pleasure of being in the present moment, in that inclusive place of the present moment, that experience of embodiment, or with the meditation anchor, with the objects coming and going, but not with not being entangled. Then you'll notice when objects come that might be entangling, and you'll feel the impulse, the mind to get identified. But wisdom will see, oh honey, we don't need to go there. Don't need to pick that up. That's that effort to prevent the mind from going in directions that it isn't helpful, doesn't lead to anybody's benefit. And then, when we're in that place, the best way to prevent the mind from getting into entangling places is to develop and maintain wholesome qualities. Often this is talked about as the seven factors of awakening, the energizing and tranquilizing qualities of the heart and mind that bring the mind into this beautiful balance. But really, just to keep it simple, deepening deepening the mind's understanding there. So we're there relatively present with the body, with hearing, with the breathing, with thoughts coming and going, but not confused by the mental content that's arising and passing, just thoughts, oh yeah, know these, don't need to identify, just mental content, is really getting clear about mindfulness itself, really valuing mindful awareness, that inclusive stability of present moment awareness. Because that naturally brings Uh, allows the wholesome qualities of mind to shine forth. Uh, Somewhere in the suttas or in the tradition, I don't know if it's in the commentaries, but there's this point that when mindfulness is deeply understood, all the other good friends, all the other wholesome qualities of mind become more apparent. And so this developing of the wholesome qualities and the maintaining of wholesome qualities, this balance of wholesome, enlivening, energizing qualities and wholesome, tranquilizing qualities. Just appreciating, valuing that stability of present moment awareness, the continuity of present moment awareness. What we often talk about as, this is being known. The continuity of the wisdom that knows recognizes the present moment in this way. Oh yeah, this is being known this is being known, now this is being known. It's just this experience of the body or mind being known. There's experience that will naturally be in the forefront of one's attention, there are experiences that will be in the periphery. To some degree the mind will have habits about what is allowed into the forefront, but in any case, in their essence, it's just something being known. It's just the next experience being felt, being known. And to really appreciate how powerful, how full, how stable, how clarifying that is. And I try to suggest with that last part of the guided meditation today, that that wholeness, that fullness of present moment awareness really has the quality of love too. It's right there in that boundless, inclusive quality of awareness that everything belongs, nothing has to be left out. So we'll pick this up next week, I'll continue to talk about how we care for the heart and mind, this part of practice we call samadhi, wise Samadhi, why stability, unification of the heart and mind. That wins here with me and we'll look at a few of the questions that might have come up. When did any questions come up from the live chat? Well, not, yet. not yet. If you have any questions, and I'll just mention too while I'm waiting, or we're waiting, that on Tuesday at 12 noon, Wynn and I are going to start with a guided meditation. And uh, Wynn and I together will be answering people's questions. So that will be every Tuesday for the next month or two at least um, at 12 noon. And that's going to be a Zoom chat so we can see each other. And you'll see that link on the Common Ground public calendar. Um, and in the weekly email, you can get that Zoom link. And then just join us if you'd like at Tuesday at 12 noon until 1 p.m. We'll have a half an hour guided meditation and then question and answers and also comments and discussions with our community, all of us who want to join in. So um, let's see if there's anything coming in here. I can start with a question. Oh, sure. Wynn <laughs> says she has a question. <laughs> Well, I just um, I was just appreciating what you were saying about some really valuing simplicity and it, it seems like in this time when we're needing to be secluded, like, like if you have thoughts or tips about how we could frame our thinking about using this as a really wholesome opportunity. You know? Yeah, so Wen's question was about simplicity and valuing simplicity. And, you know, we're in this strange and unique time And a lot of us, um, I'm sure some people are really experiencing difficulties, but a lot of us in this secluded time, it's sort of this, almost like a retreat time. So how can we use this simplicity? How can we learn to value it? And the thing is, it can't, and this is where we often go, we make it a should. Oh, I should be using this time for retreat. I should be a good Buddhist doing my practice. You know, I have no excuse. I could be sitting twice a day or I could be sitting longer. You know, I shouldn't be spending my time watching videos or eating or, you know. And so the thing is, shoulds don't tend to work very well. (laughs) This is sort of basic human wisdom, right? We can't should our way into good habits. But... What does work is understanding um, the thread of pleasure. There's a spiritual pleasure behind wholesome spiritual activities. If we don't tune in to the joy of the practice, we're not going to do it for long. We can shame our way into practice for a little bit. We can use sort of the group dynamic, you know, getting swept away because our friends are into it. That works for a little bit. But to have a long-term practice, we really have to find in our own mind, in our own heart, in our own experience, some thread, some that really uh, feeds us in a way that matters, actually matters. Now, this way of being spiritually fed is subtle. So, like, compared to an intense movie, or exciting food, or some kind of other grosser sense pleasure. So we need a mechanism that can recognize subtle pleasure, spiritual pleasure. And so it's a, it's a bit of a setup when we're feeling in a, gross, a grosser state of mind, a denser state of mind, where the only thing that sort of can cut through our distractedness is something gross like an intense movie or intense meal or something that has a lot of, you know, impact. So this is the, you know, endless chicken and egg problem in spiritual practice. It's sort of, we need some calm, we need some subtleness to find our way. And this is is the one danger we should see as danger. When we're distracted, we're in danger because we don't know what's for our own benefit or for the benefit of others. The world is distorted when we're in a distracted place. Yeah. So we have to value calm so that we can find our way to a more trustworthy pleasure. And in Buddhism, we call it the pleasure of letting go or this beautiful, liberating marriage of intimacy and non-grasping, as some people have talked about it. it be a question. When completely lost, no contact with the moment, what is a good tool to bring myself back? When completely lost, no contact with the present moment, what's a good way to come back to the present moment? Well, when we're actually completely lost, we're completely lost. (laughs) And the only thing that can save us when we're completely lost is having already in the past cultivated the habit to be mindful. And then that habit has to break through the being completely lost in thought or in some reaction. And then mindfulness, the habit of mindfulness, re-emerges because of the force of habit. And it illuminates... The moment, oh, I've been lost in this reactive habit. I've been lost in anger. Or I've been lost and lost, And it feels like this. So when we're completely lost, we're completely lost. When we're sort of lost, entangled, but there's some thread in the mind and wisdom that knows that we're kind of lost, then it's really that, that powerful place of allegiance. Can I... Can I sense this growing, deepening allegiance to clarity, to want to feel and see things as they are? Or is the force of habit to go with distractedness going to win the day? And so in those moments where we're sort of lost but not completely lost, valuing, really sincerely valuing like a true friend, it can't be idealistic. It has to be heartfelt. This attraction, this valuing of mindful awareness, of wisdom awareness, wanting to see things as they are, wanting to feel what's here to feel. not like. And related to that valuing of mindfulness is an honest and trustworthy fear of distractedness, of disconnection, I see we're a few minutes over. We should probably leave it here. I'll look through any questions that have come up. Wyn and I will uh, use them on Tuesday maybe to get started in the Q&A time. And then hopefully other people will have your own comments as well as questions. So I hope to see some of you there on Tuesday. Shelley will be back. Uh, they're using that book by Tinisera and Kittasaro. I'm forgetting the title of it, but Gabe will have that. Gabe Keller-Flores, our office manager, will have that in the weekly email in case people want to read along with Shelley and the Wednesday weekly practice group. People are also welcome to join in on Tuesday evening. It's week four of the intro class, especially those who are relatively new to the practice. You can find that Zoom link on our website and in the weekly email. And then Monday night, tomorrow night, will be the Buddhist studies. I think it's week four Possibly week five, but I think week four in the course on cultivating wholesome relationships. So I hope to continue to see everybody in these online formats and really grateful for Steve or for Scott Jensen and Gabe Keller Flores and many volunteers that have been helping us do these live stream programs. Nice to have Winfricke with me. We'll leave the live stream up for a few minutes if people want to do any live chats to each other. And then hope to see you down the road, everyone. Please be safe and take care of yourselves. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.